she can't be dead. Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Annie, in 1871, women often died in childbirth. But her spirit is the important thing, and Misery Spirit is still alive. I don't want her spirit! I want her! And you murdered her! club members and welcome back to another episode of the nightlight horror movie club i am kate your co-president and um i live near an airport and so there's about 80 planes that are departing and arriving at the moment making a lot of noise so let's hope that continues and i am emma and i have just kicked out my cat raja because he was attempting to eat all the pins in my corkboard. The literal thumbtacks. I'm just not in the mood for a trip <laughs> a foreign to the- body surgery right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I don't have the money or the time or the interest. So he's <laughs> we're not interested in your outside. shenanigans, Raja. So I've stuffed a towel under the door, and he can no longer be a part of this. Well, you know what? When you start eating thumbtacks, that's when you get kicked out of the party. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's, that's very been fair. My rule, at least it's a hard and fast rule. Uh, we're really excited um, about this episode. We're doing another Stephen she King She sure movie. sounds it, doesn't she, folks? I'm super excited. I'm so <laughs> excited. <laughs> or, you know, we're like, we're just real excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> I am excited. Damn it. Okay. Kate's has a couple of benzos. So she's a little sleepy. No, I'm just kidding. She's, I guess, just, I don't know what she is. I'm just, you know what? My diet ginger ale just isn't hitting me the way it normally does in the morning. <laughs> It's just not hitting that spot it normally does. But I am genuinely excited. I love Stephen King. I actually had not seen this movie until um, someone suggested it for the podcast. Uh, so I'm actually very excited to talk about it because I just watched it yesterday. And uh, I have a lot of things to say about it. I was going to say, don't spoil it for us yet. Also, for those of y'all who don't know what the heck we're talking about, we are talking about the 1990 Rob Reiner film, based off the Stephen King novel, Misery, which we are covering this week. I feel like they probably know because they clicked on a giant thumbnail of Kathy Bates' face. Oh, well. A little clue, and it said Misery on it. (laughs) What could this be? It could have been a self-help podcast. Little mystery episode. What do we have here? Um, But if it's it's your first time um, on the podcast, at the club, on our club, with our club, whatever, whatever preposition you would like to use for the club. We're not that kind of club, guys. We're we're an awesome club, and uh, we're really excited that you're here. It's just me and Emma uh, talking about either horror movies. uh, I adore horror movies. Emma is extremely lukewarm on horror movies. (laughs) Yeah, I think best. well put. <laughs> um, I'm very curious. She's horror curious, but we don't just cover horror. We cover anything tangentially rem- um, related to horror. That includes uh, 2020's uh, horror musical Cats. So if you guys have any suggestions, they don't have to just be horror-based, but we do definitely cover horror movies. And this, I would say, is a classic horror movie. I'm very excited to be doing a classic horror movie that I haven't seen. We're covering 1990s Misery based on Stephen King's book of the same name. And uh, I know you, I don't, I haven't read the book. I hadn't seen the movie. Had you, I know you haven't. No, you didn't. So I actually, I, this, I've been wanting to read the book. So I know I have not read the book, but I've been wanting to read it. I also just want to reiterate what you were saying. (laughs) I've been meaning to read it. (laughs) I think it's on my bookshelf, maybe. I no, think I might it's have actually, not. No, I actually think I got it from a um, a uh, like a used bookstore. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds so. It, as that I was sounds saying, it, it made like up. A lot, no, I, I really do think wasn't. that I bought it once. I really do well, think sounded, that. I was gonna say like I got it from a like flash used book sale in a strip mall. Which now you're just like lying. Even more of a lie. So I <laughs> the just more details you add, simple. the <laughs> bigger the lie is. No, okay. So I really did buy this book Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can say about it Um, you just don't know uh, when to quit do you Emma (laughs) doesn't even know how to read how you this is how you know I don't lie because even when I'm trying to be honest it sounds like a lie so imagine what a lie sounds but you did cover the I know that you bought the book for a decoration for your apartment but you did read up on the book because that's kind of your role here for this episode yes fantastic she didn't, and she's going to be making it up on the fly. So I'm excited to see what she comes up with. 
But we did both watch the the movie. I watched it last night, and Emma just watched it this morning, like ten minutes ago. So she's got the the freshest takes. But we're really excited to talk about it. Um, I'm excited to talk about Kathy Bates um, and uh, Sonny Corleone. I mean, uh, whatever his Excuse name me, is, ma'am? James Con. He plays Sonny Corleone. Yeah, dude. So, so this is, I think. Can you do you know what I recognized him from? Alpha. <laughs> Yeah, so there so whichever okay, so this movie has two main stars. It has Kathy Bates, who is the lead actress, and it has James Kahn, who is the lead actor. Um, depending on what generation you're from, you're gonna recognize James Kahn from two very different things. One is from you're the Godfather from, series. You are not from the Godfather generation. No, I'm not. I'm three years older than you, but that's what I immediately recognize. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm three. <laughs> I'm three years older than you, but you have um, Sonny Corleone or you have the dad from Elf. But uh, yeah, so we have the dad from Elf Elf, and we have the squirrel lady from Rat Race in uh, the best horror movie I've seen them in together, which is um, Stephen King's Misery. I am so excited to get started. And it's going to talk about the book. Um, I just got some information on the making of the movie and then we're going to run through the movie. Again, this is, if it's your first time here, we do spoil the movie. I think everyone knows what happens in this movie. But we're, we're going to be spoiling it, um, so let's just dive right ahead. I'll start with the first spoiler, which is the worst thing about this movie is knowing that he's going to get his feet sledgehammered. So, I like, you knew that was going to happen, right? I did know that was going to happen, and though some people may think something else happens with his feet based on whether or not they read the book. I know so what in it the was. book, he got his feet chopped off and i thought he only got one of his feet chopped off mm, at least one chopped off and then oh my the, god she you- also cut a, she also cut off a thumb with a blowtorch or cauterized it with a blowtorch cut it off and then cauterized it with a blowtorch oh my god i know so they kind of they toned it down a little bit though and for I will that, that i am I grateful when I was watching the movie, I was anticipating it being more toned down at the end than it was. We'll get there. I know from being in all the horror circles and also from being alive after 1990 that he gets his foot sledgehammered, his feet rather hobbled. So it made the whole movie so much harder to watch because he keeps having the whole movie is like near escape attempts, right? It's him like, oh, I'm going to get out this way. Oh, I'm trying to escape, trying to escape. But the whole time you're like, well, you didn't get your feet sledgehammered yet. So you're not going yeah, you anywhere. You got a ways to go, bud. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. But we'll, we'll go um, through the story in a minute. First, I want to pick a film genre. Yes. Oh my gosh, so excited. Tell. Hobble horror. Hobble horror? <laughs> yes. I guess if we watch Saw or something, I bet we can add that to, I bet someone loses a foot in Saw. Absolutely someone loses a foot. Well, someone has their foot chained up because Dr. Phil did that bit about it. Excuse me? You don't know the obscure reference that I'm talking about? Well, we'll get there when we cover Saw, but Dr. Phil is involved in a very, very tangential capacity. These hosts, I think... <laughs> I think these hosts get very bored in their jobs because all. Whenever you said that, all I could think of was Tyra Banks pretending to have rabies. Well, we're not on that oh one God. occasion. We'll cover that on a mini episode because that was that was cringe horror and it's and at its at its worst and at its best. So, we're but we're not here to talk about Tyra Banks. We're not here to talk about Tyra Banks. We're here to talk about hobble horror. So that's my genre. Take it or leave it. It's what it is. I'll take it. I think you can. We can do some stuff with that. Yeah, we'll 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 fit some grotesque horror bits into it. Um, now let's talk about budget because that's what I like talking about. So okay, it's all about the moolah <laughs> that I'll never be making. I just like <laughs> return on investment. So we have we 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 talked about Carrie. That was our um, last full episode, uh, and it was a huge success. Carrie was a hugely successful movie, and uh, this one. I know, I know just from looking at or just from existing in the 90s that this was a successful movie, but I'm excited for you to talk about um, critical reception. But the budget for this movie was $20 million. That's a big budget. That's a, a huge budget, especially when you think that when you realize that Kathy Bates was an unknown actress at the time. Was she really? I did not know that. Yeah, she was, in a, she was a nobody. Like, she wasn't a nobody, but she was a stage actress. She didn't do... She's a little harsh there. She was literally garbage trash lady. She was a loser. 
I'm okay. She was a you know freak. what? Whatever. Kathy Bates is freaking Kathy Bates now. As so like, I don't UK. feel bad. She did it just despite me, an unborn yeah, fetus did. at the time. <laughs> but it, in the box office, it made twenty million. Uh, for reference, Carrie wasn't even two million. It was one point eight. Oh, I'm so sorry. That was the budget, not box office. And at the box oh, office, I was say, it I made. Yeah, it did better. It did better. It did better than that. And at the box office, it made uh, sixty million domestically. Uh, Carrie was thirty three point eight. So return on investment wise, Carrie did really a lot better. But if you think about literal millions that they made, this one did really did really well. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and we all know that Stephen King wrote the novel, which Emma's going to tell us about in a bit. Um, but the, I was actually very interested to read about who wrote the screenplay. The screenplay was written by uh, a novelist and screenplay writer. Screenplayist? <laughs> I don't know. What to, I, don't I know think we'll say. just go with writer. Okay. Named William Goldman. Um, and I recognized the name, but I didn't know from where, so I looked him up. And he wrote the novel, and he also wrote the screenplay for the movie for The Princess Bride. So you can thank him oh. for that. Yeah. Well, I guess he and Rob Reiner would, were good old pals. Did Rob Reiner do The Princess Bride? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I'll be honest. Whenever I think of Rob Reiner, I think of When Harry Met Sally. So I forget he did, like, serious movies. Like, he did Stand By Me. He did Stephen King's Stand By Me, which was... Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, he did Stand That's how he got this role. So Rob Reiner had done Stand By Me, which was an ad- adaptation of the Stephen King novella, The Body, which... Um, Obviously, was a big success. Everyone likes Stand By Me. And that is kind of what solidified him in Stephen King's, like, book of people he can trust. And so whenever... It wasn't him. It was the other producer. It wasn't Rob Brenner. It was the other producer whose, name's like, whose name I cannot remember who first read this book. He picked it up as a paperback book in an airport and read it and was like, oh, snap. Like, I like Stephen King and this is really good. Like, surely someone's, like, auctioned to get the rights for it. Mm -hmm. And no one had. And then he approached King and he was like, okay, if you can get Rob Reiner involved, who I trust because of Stan by me, like, then fine. That's cool. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, that all worked out. Yeah, that all Um, worked out lovely. That's very impressive of Rob Reiner because I, like you, associated him mainly with When Harry Met Sally. So to to know that he did Misery and then he did Stand By Me, which has a more of a dramatic sentimental tone to it um he did a lot of movies did the like princess that. bride which is like comedy adventure yeah that's that's and, and then i think he did this is metallica or something do you know what I'm, the, do you know what movie i'm talking about no this. i'm thinking of spinal tap when you say spinal that. tap <laughs> did you yeah. you were serious you called it this is metallica yeah, I, I was being very sincere when I said I knew that I knew it wasn't quite right, but I thought I was pretty close. This is well, also, you were. That movie apparently did really well, but that's not the movie we're covering. So we're I won't talking tell you about how well Spinal Tap. I will right. tell you how well this movie did. Well, I'm not ready. I want to talk about the cast. Okay, tell me about the cast first. Oh, I kind of already did. It's Kathy Bates and James Caan. <laughs> but, but it's very notable to say that Kathy Bates, who, again, an unknown actress at that time, took home the Academy Award for Best Actress for this movie, which is insane. Deserved for her impersonation of a pig alone. <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, this, this part is going to make no sense to you. But she did great. She was so good in this movie. Can we just say she was so good? She is great. And I spent half the movie when I was watching it writing down great comments that, that I, I guess were not written by her. But she sure did give them life. Like, you dirty birdie. You dirty birdie. Or, Catch this. Mwah. And then like she like blows him a kiss after she had just been being psychotic. And then when she's dancing in a circle, too much. Honestly, the less context for these comments, the more hilarious and amazing they are. So that's great. I I will give you guys a little bit of context before we dive into the whole movie. Um, The movie is about James Caan, um, who is a big writer. He writes these like Victorian romance novels that are extremely popular called the misery novels and it's about this um woman the character's name is misery and his number one fan is kathy bates who um ultimately kidnaps him slash rescues him from a blizzard and uh, keeps her in the house so that he can continue to write the series for her yeah let me remind you that fan is short for fanatic this I am fourteen and this is deep. I'm just I just really <laughs> wanted to wanted to drop that mic on you, Kate. 
Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a big moment. Thanks for letting us know. <laughs> you mean she's not sane in this movie? What? I'm just saying it's a reflection of our culture, man. Okay. I really sound like just, I just smoked a bunch of weed. I promise I didn't. It's like 11 in the morning raining on a Tuesday. <laughs> you sound like Elon Musk right now naming his kid. Can you um, tell me a little bit about the critical reception of this movie? That I can. Um, so <laughs> we have put IMDb to rest because they're never helpful and they rank I'm so done seven, with them. So <laughs> I didn't even look up to see what they did. I did look at Rotten Tomatoes and I'm not going to make Kate guess because we both know it did well. But I will. Um, I was surprised that both audience and the critics agreed on the score, and they agreed agreed on a score of ninety percent. So really good. That's good. That's quite good. That's good. Wait, they're yeah, they're for, both the same. Yep. Both that never happens. 90%. Exactly. Mm, um, yeah. That is that so, is really interesting. The reviews were like you can see were very positive. Everyone loved Kathy Bates. Um, she was a sensation. Um, she is a sensation. One, oh, excuse me. First she of all, how dare Kate, you? We all know you hate her and wanted her to fail, so I don't want to hear. From oh her. yeah, you know from the beginning, it was anti Kathy Bates. <laughs> yeah. So um, I th- I think the one review that I pulled that I want to read is from Jay Carr of the Boston Globe. I just thought it, he well articulated some of the strengths of the movie. So he says. Two scenes in Misery are shockingly brutal, but many more are wickedly amusing, especially the one stemming from the fact that no small part of the writer's torture is the way his deranged muse uses language. There's something simultaneously comical and scary about the way Bates employs euphemisms to keep the lid on. I just, I love that she's like this upstanding Christian woman that like kidnaps and murders people. <laughs> you cockadoobie. I don't like the swear words. It's the, it's the profanity, Paul. <laughs> so it's so good. Apparently, um, she actually what came to like this idea of of this woman. The general um, idea was dreamt up by King while he was on an airplane, and he when he woke up, he got an American Airlines cocktail napkin and wrote down. That like she speaks earnestly but doesn't quite make eye contact. She's a big woman, um, like but solid the whole way through. Um, he wrote down the little anecdote about um, about the pig named Misery and how like he shouldn't be offended. Please don't be offended. Like I named the pig out of love for your character. Like all of that just came from a dream, and that was kind of the the beginning of what became Misery. I wish I had multi million dollar dreams like that. I know, right? But I, know. I just keep being late for tests and missing my pants. So <laughs> life's not fair sometimes. Some of us have more to offer in our dreamland than others. So I, I do want to talk a little bit about Stephen King specifically because he has um, come forward. Come forward. Like he, there were accusations. Uh, everyone knows he had a struggle with drug abuse. And he is very open now about saying that misery was an allegory for his struggle with drug abuse and that Annie was the physical manifestation of the toll his abuse was taking on him. It con- it con- it confuses me a little bit. Like I don't, it's not a very linear allegory. Like it doesn't make a ton of sense. Like the harder I think about it, the more it doesn't make sense to me, but I, I can, I'm sure it's something very personal to him that I, it's not going to make sense to me and that's fine. Yeah. I think you have to be very, fast and loose with it because I also had the same I was like oh that's interesting and then the more you think about it the more you you start to kind of lose it so I agree with you I think it's personal to him yeah it has to be personal because it it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me but I see it differently so I see it and and Rob Reiner actually gave an interview I, I don't remember when he's looked the same for the last 30 years no he has not that is not true (laughs) That you is didn't give true. me an opportunity to respond to that. No, that is not true. He does not. So I just don't know what year he did this. But he gave an interview about it, and he was talking about how he sees it as a metaphor for Stephen King in the way of being trapped by his own success. So the main character is Paul Sheldon. He's this successful romance author, Victorian romance, and he has a huge fan base. But that's not all that he is, and that's not all that he wants to write. So he's trying to write something more personal and it's rejected by his ravenous fan base. And I think that that, that follows Stephen King very well. He's created this very, very strong horror fan base. And that's kind of all that people want from him now because he's so good at doing it. They don't, 
want more serious things that aren't horror. They don't want just dramatic storytelling. They want something horror. So that's kind of how I saw it. Again, that's not fair for me to say, actually, Stephen King, this is the allegory for your life that it is, but that's what I saw. Well, I also, I think there has been some stuff written on on that because apparently, and I think he he has actually acknowledged that to some extent himself because oh cool he so in nineteen so the book came out misery came out in nineteen eighty seven three years before that in nineteen eighty four he came out with this book called Eyes of the Dragon so at this point you know he, we had talked we talked in our previous podcast about how Carrie jump started his career so he's been publishing horror that's what he was. Um, known for, but Eyes of the Dragon was actually not a horror. It was this sort of epic fantasy. So it was taking um, a kind of sidetrack and doing its own thing. And a lot of fans were just not having it. That's not what they wanted from him. So I think he definitely was reacting to that. Also, he with this book, he was initially planning on releasing it under a pseudonym because he actually, he wanted to, he's always wanted to know, and he talks about this in his memoirs, you know, where luck and talent kind of meet and how much of it is luck and how much of it is talent. So he was trying to kind of test the theory by using the pseudonym Richard Bachman, um, which if you mm-hmm. look it up, there's a photo. Like there's a photo that would be on the inside of a, of a jacket, of like a um, book jacket. And it's actually a, just a photo of his literary agent. Um, but he feels like he was never fully able to explore whether or not this Richard Bachman could also have the success, you know, being not linked to Stephen King because people figured out that it was him so early that he never even was able to, to release Misery as the pseudonym because people had already figured out the connection between the two. So like, to this day, he still kind of wonders. I actually, I don't know the, like, the nitty gritty about how that got figured out, but people... Someone snitched. Oh, that's sad. But like, good for him. He's doing funny. He seems to be very happy in his life. So like, he's, he's yeah. fine. Good for you. Good for you, Stephen King. Yeah, he, he seems to be doing fine now. He also fell head over heels in love with Kathy Bates for this movie. Did he really? Like, in, like he loved her. So he was so impressed with her that literally he, whenever he wrote his, no, his novel Dolores Claiborne, he wrote it with Kathy Bates in mind. And guess what? She starred in the film version because he was like, this ah. is for Kathy. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. But because if you were, were writing that, if you daydreamed or whatever, that this kind of earnest woman that I had described to you that he wrote on his cocktail napkin, she like played that so perfectly. Like I couldn't imagine based on, I read that and I would have assumed that he wrote that after she was cast based off of just like the way she is dressed, the way she acts. Like it's so on point. That I can totally see him like that. See, it would be such a magical moment to see something you've written so perfectly brought to life, maybe even beyond what you had written. Yeah, and that's one thing he has said, and he's and he's he's always listing misery in the top ten of his favorite film adaptations of his books, which you know your famous win. <laughs> you're yeah, exactly. Your top 10 so favorite true. Film adaptations of your work. But I just really like that, um, like, James Caan was not a nobody. He was, like, a very well-known actor. And Kathy Bates is the one who really stole the show. And and also, whenever they were casting, Rob Reiner picked Kathy Bates. And he was like, yeah, like, you don't even have to audition. Like, it, you got it because he'd seen her in some plays and stuff. And then James Caan, on the other hand, was, like, the, I don't know, 80th cast choice for oh. Paul Sheldon. They, they had gone through, like, lit- like I don't know, like Kevin Klein, Al Pacino, um, Robert Redford. They had, like... 12 different people that they were asking and who declined it, declined it, declined it. And then they landed on Khan. And I, I like the quiet energy that Khan brings to it. So I, I don't know. I thought that they had really good um, tension on set and, or in the movie. And they, they did have tension on set. That's one thing that I actually looked up. And I, because Kathy Bates was a big stage actor, like she was very into long stage trained rehearsals. And that's not Khan's style. He's more of a, I'm going to show up a little bit hungover and like, we're just going to knock this out. Yeah. Well, it worked so, for him before. <laughs> yeah, it did. It worked for him really well before. So that's how uh, they, they had a bunch of onset um, like fights and like arguments because she would be giving like her big speeches and monologues and rehearsals and he'd just like pick up his phone and like take a call. And so they had a lot of mm. issues with that. I could imagine if she's like, this is her big break. And she's been coming from this very studied background. And he's like eight years post Godfather. So he's very famous. And I can see how that would be two different. They're like friends now. So like, yeah, 
they're like friends. I mean, they're probably both good people. They probably were just like had different, you know, different work strategies. They did. Yeah, they for sure did. Um, Khan actually showed up to work super hungover once for for this movie for Misery. And Who among us? I am my God, no. <laughs> oh, In the medical field, no. <laughs> but he, he showed up hungover and... They filmed the entire day's shoot and then they were reviewing it and none of it was usable because his performance just wasn't good. And Robert Reiner, Ro- Robert, we're very formal. <laughs> Rob Reiner. <laughs> Are you his mother? <laughs> his Christian name. Rob Reiner uh, knew that that's what happened, obviously. But he didn't tell Con that. He was just like, hey, like there is an issue at like the lab with the film and we have to reshoot everything just cause he didn't want to confront him or like alienize or yeah. anything for his head, his like one of his big stars. But Khan eventually found out and he offered to pay for um, the production company's entire day's loss, which is a lot oh, of money. Nice. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah, nice, a lot of dollars. Yeah. Very, very nice. I mean, it'd be nicer if you didn't show up. Yeah. But you know, I, I thought that was a, I thought that was really cool of him. But I want to start talking about this movie. Do you have any other cool things you want to add? Any critical reception? Anything? Uh, two notes. One is that the uh, they actually ended up doing a theatrical production that had at one point Bruce Willis and Laurie Metcalf. And Laurie Metcalf actually was nominated for a Tony for her performance in this stage play of Misery. Um, and then the other note is I just want to apologize in advance if you can hear my cat meowing at the door. <laughs> is he meowing at the door? Yeah, he's really displeased with being kicked out. He doesn't even know what's happening in here. He just know, he has some serious FOMO. So he wants to come in here and eat some thumbtacks, damn it. <laughs> like he like w- is well within his right. <laughs> okay. And um, I'm, so I'm just going to talk through the, the movie. If you have any notes that are specific to the book or that are the same or different in the book, just stop yeah, me and I tell me. Fantastic. So we open up with Paul Sheldon, AKA James Caan. He is this super famous writer. He wrote, he, or he is in the process of finishing the last book in his misery series, which is a, a series of Victorian romance novels. Um, in which case the, the main character's name is Misery Chastain. He, we have scenes of him talking to his literary agent. He wants to stop writing these series. He's tired of writing these series. They were, they've been great. They've like paid for his life. They've taken care of his family, but he wants to start writing more serious stories and things that are more personal to him. And so he's actually just finished a manuscript for a different novel that he hopes he can start creating as a, as a new part of a new leg in his career after the misery career ends. And, um, it's it's, rather than kind of continue this thread of these Victorian novels, I don't think he feels very personally attached to he, but you know, are commercially successful. He wants to do a, a crime novel that's based to some degree on his kind of rough and tumble upbringing called fast cars. Yeah, that's right. And so he always goes to the Silver Creek Lodge in Colorado. He drives there in a, a, a specific type of Mustang. He's he's a man of superstition and a man of habit. And so he only makes one copy of his book. He always writes the book on a typewriter at the Silver Creek Lodge in Colorado, and he always drives that sp- that fancy Mustang. And whenever he's finished, he, he is not a smoker but because he's quit, but whenever he finishes, he has... Uh, one cigarette and a bottle of Dom Perignon. So that's his his habit. So he writes this book. He checks out of the lodge. Um, he puts it in his little leather briefcase that is very sentimental and also another one of his superstitions. So he puts the only copy of this book in the leather carrier and then he drives off into a blizzard. No one stops him. Like I get that he's from like New York City and he doesn't know that there's a blizzard and that he can't go out. But like he checks out of this lodge and everyone's like, okay, bye. <laughs> Yeah, let's add that he, yeah, he checks out drunk. Is he on, drunk? Out of this lodge. When the book he was drunk. I don't know if he was drunk in the movie. I think he's, he's, he's a little bit more subtle in the movie, so it's a little, I wouldn't know if he was. Which is funny because James Caan might have been. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so, all right. So he gets caught in this blizzard. He veers off the road and he gets knocked out. His car's upside down. And then this nurse, Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates, finds Paul and like cranks open the door with a crowbar. She's very, very, very quickly, I will add, like very quickly. Yeah, she, because he drives off, like off. Like you, you, whenever I, I saw that, I just had the instant horror of 
wow, like so many people, that would just be it. Like it was off in the middle of a snowstorm there. You're, you can't see that from the road and he's like flipped over. Yeah. It's, it's bad news bears, but thank God Annie Wilkes comes and finds him. Uh, with, and she has a crowbar handy and she, uh, cranks open the door. What a, what a weird coincidence and, um, holds him and like carries him home. And so he wakes up and he is in this bed in this creepy house. His shoulder has just been popped back in. It was dislocated. And both of his legs have horrific compound fractures. I am not going to do this the whole movie where I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Okay, how the hell does she know he has compound fractures? Does she have an x-ray machine in there? As like about to graduate doctor, I would be like, something's wrong down there. (laughs) I actually do have some more. (laughs) That ain't right. I'd be like, that's. It's That's, really bruised. I'm pretty sure you, you can't walk. Prob's broken. That's about all I can tell you. She she makes a comment that she could feel the bones moving against each other. So like I'm I, not like, an orthopedic surgeon, but I, I don't I don't know. If I was in the ED, I would say she can't walk, likely broken, and that'd be the end of that. Well, you're not a, as good of a doctor as she is a, a nurse. I mean, obviously. she did run the ICU according to that article. We'll get to the article later. But Annie is there and she's like, oh, hey, good morning. I'm your number one fan and starts immediately gushing about the Misery series. He's just coming to realizing that his legs are broken and he's in the middle of nowhere. Um, She's like, oh, you know, there's a blizzard. All the phone lines are down. We can't get into the road. I can't take you to a hospital, but I'm your number one fan. (laughs) I'm going to take such good care of you. And by the way, we we can't get you to friends, family, medical assistants, but just so you know, I'm your number one fan. I am your number one fan. And right, right out of the gate, she straight up admits, cause he's like, wow, I'm so lucky you were there. And she could have been like, yeah, that was lucky, but she doesn't. She straight up says, well, it wasn't that lucky because I had been watching your cabin at the lodge and watching the light in your window because I'm your biggest fan. And then I like followed <laughs> followed your car because I was worried about you in this blizzard because I'm your number one fan. So really, it's not luck at all. I'm just a psychopath. She doesn't say the last bit, but it's heavily implied. <laughs> yeah, it's very heavily implied, very, very soon on. But you, you, as an audience member, I feel like are immediately uneasy because you're oscillating between this like very pleasant woman who is will say things that are very unpleasant and then will say something like, Oh, poop. And then, you know, it's very pleasant and like put together. So that's very um, unsettling initially. I also just want to note that whenever he first react, his reaction is very subtle for the fact that the situation he's in, he's probably drugged up and things like that. Um, At first, when I was watching, I was kind of like, why doesn't he have a greater reaction? But I actually as the as you see his personality throughout the movie, I actually came to really like the fact that he has this kind of more slow, thoughtful, you can see the wheels turning inside his head as he's Mm -hmm. reacting to her. So I ultimately really liked it. But at first I was a little like, shouldn't you be like having a panic attack right now? No, he's just super calm and collected. He's like, okay, I guess this is where I am now. What's the next step? Well, he's going to stay there for a while. So she mentions that she found his little leather bag that had the the manuscript for his new book and she is asked to read it and he's like yes you can because you know you saved my life and I am grateful so while she's feeding him hot soup <laughs> she starts criticizing his book um she's like I just you know it's it's the profanity Paul she's a very pious woman she wears like a, a cross a necklace and um she wears a crucifix is that what people call them do you say I don't you think wear I'd call a it a crucifix? crucifix? Is the crucifix the big one? Kate grew up in a church, so she really should know this. Yeah, it's not a crucifix <laughs> unless someone's attached to it, to be quite honest. Oh, God. So. Okay. Then it's not a crucifix. So let's call it a cross. <laughs> a cross from where? That's an Arrested no, Development I, joke. <laughs> no. I thought Just it was no, funny. Kate. Well, anyway, so she is feeding him soup with her um, crucifix, and... She says that she she's like, it's the profanity, Paul. I'm just not, I don't like it. Like, how would it be if I went down to the pig store? I'm like, oh, give me some effing pig feed, you mother effers. <laughs> she really like, yeah, I think it's just your first clear, like, oh, she has a temper. Temper is putting it mildly. And she's like sloshing tomato soup on him, uh, which is better because later it's lighter fluid. So she's getting very <laughs> angry. And then she, you know, it's all, it's all relative, Kate, you know? <laughs> It's not lighter fluid. 
And then she she apologizes. She's like, well, you know, I have a temper and I'm sorry and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, that's fine. Because <laughs> what else is he going to do? Um, then she she goes to the store and she gets the latest Misery novel, the last one, little does she know. Because as, as we know from Paul talking to his literary agent in the beginning, he kills off Misery in the end of the book. She doesn't know this. Um, she, Emma mentioned the pig earlier. She brings the pig, her, her, cause she lives on a farm. She brings a giant pig into the bedroom to meet him and like jump on his broken compound fractured legs. All right, let's give the pig the respect it deserves. Its name is misery in the movie and in real life. I don't know if you caught that. I did catch credits. that. <laughs> it, it says misery the pig as herself which i yeah, thought was I so cute that. that was cute i was grateful for that part because i was worried throughout the whole movie that the, something was going to happen to the pig cuz like movies don't just introduce animals for no reason but i'm happy to well, say this one did. i i'm happy to say that the pig lives in this movie yeah she's far kinder to animals than she is to people and their pig um anim- not animations there's, this is not a anim- there's no animation this movie <laughs> their pig uh What's the word I'm looking for? Like figurines I don't know. and decorations of pigs all throughout her house. Pig paraphernalia. Yeah, I was like memorabilia paraphernalia. An- animations is not the right word. I'll tell you that much. How great would it be if suddenly an animated pig popped out? When he was like really drugged up. Yeah, I was just like saying from having- those pills she's given him. Oh yeah, that that let that reminds me. The whole time she's giving him um pills that are called I, I tried to catch the word because I wanted to look it up and see what it was. I don't Just, think it's a real pill. Um, I don't think it is, but I think it's basically an opioid. It looks like a sedative to me. Yeah, to me, to me like it was a, very a clearly a sedative. That's like kind of the whole point is it's a sedative. So I think he gets addicted to them. So I think it's – in the book, he gets addicted to them. Okay. Yeah, in the movie, he doesn't. He gets addicted to them. In the movie, he them? like tastes it. No, in the movie, I thought that, that was one difference between the movie and the book. In the movie, he gets addicted to the pain medicine and like he's able – like she's able to kind of manipulate him obviously by brute force but also by – Withholding – withholding his pain medication, which he has become quickly addicted to, which I think Ugh. is a little bit more directly related to Stephen King's addiction yes, and all that. Yes, it is. But yeah, in the, in the book, he was addicted. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, in the, in, the, in the movie, she's giving him these two little orange capsules very, very frequently as, her, as his pain pills. We don't find out exactly what they are, but um, he is clever enough after her first couple of outbursts to stop taking them and start hiding them in a slit that he's created in the mattress, which is very, very clever. But um, things are about to take a turn because she just got the last Misery novel. She's really enjoying it. <laughs> She's so, oh, she so happy. It. She loves it so much. And so she's reading the book. She's so excited. She's thrown some pain pills to him. But she's in a generally good, generally good mood, all things considered, while she's reading these books. Like <laughs> she's treating him a little bit better. Um, she's, in a, she's in a generally good mood until she's like, oh, I only have a few more pages left. And then the next scene is just her like, crashing into the room she goes into an absolute rage because she just found out that misery her favorite character the namesake of her favorite pig just died in childbirth at the end of the book and she's like she can't be dead and he's like well you know annie like a lot of women died in childbirth and she's like no she does not die in childbirth yes and and he's like well you know her spirit lives on and she's like i don't want her spirit i want misery and then she just goes completely like she shows her true self very very quickly and she just straight up tells paul flatly who is starting to realize this on his own but she just gives him the news she's like oh by the way didn't actually call your literary agent um not ever going to uh you're stuck here and nobody knows where you are and you better hope that i don't die because then you'll definitely die too good night <laughs> and locks I think him in it was his room oscar winning scene i feel like i loved the i don't think when she yells like i don't want i don't her want spirit. spirit i want misery yeah. yeah, it was very intense and very effective. Uh, this movie is, in a word, intense. I watched it at the end of a very, very intense shift at work, and I did not feel relaxed whenever I went to bed. I felt a little stressed. Yeah, this one's not for tucking you into bed. No, it's not. But dang, it 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 escalates there. That's when you're like, we're at the point of no return. She's gonna, and we're still very early in the movie. So um, the next day, Annie. Is like, I'm so sorry, Paul. I talked to God. God showed me the way. I'm going to fix you for God. 
by the way, here's a grill I just brought into your bedroom and here's your manuscript and you're going to burn it. And she takes the whole, oh God, it hurts. She takes the whole manuscript that he's poured his heart and soul into of this new book, the one where there's profanity and, um, and does not involve misery and she doesn't want anything to do with that. And so she puts it on the grill, douses it in lighter fluid, kind of douses him in lighter fluid just because she's like shaking her arms yeah, she's, very flamboyantly. She's willy-nilly with this lighter fluid. Mm-hmm. It feels intentional. It feels like a threat. And she's like, and Paul's trying to play it cool. And he's like, you know, my literary agent has dozens of copies. It's no big deal. And she's like, actually, no, your literary agent does not have any copies because I'm your biggest fan. And in an interview with some person that I know about, you said that you have one copy, you're superstitious, and then she goes through like all of his rituals, including the lodge, including the cigarette, including the Dom Perignon that he drinks when he's finished a book. And um, he, <laughs> he has to burn the manuscript. And she's, <laughs> and she's like, well, that's great because I also bought you this typewriter that doesn't have the letter in and I bought you all this printer paper and you're going to write a new misery book and you're going to make her be alive. <laughs> yep. And she takes it very seriously, like, because he, he makes, he starts trying to, like, um, pacify her. He, he starts writing these, like, these, these chapters for her just so that he can, like, live and stay alive. And she's like, nope, not good enough, not good enough. Like, she's holding him to the same standard that she would hold him as a writer whenever he didn't have his tibia broken and was on sedatives in a stranger's house. Yeah, he he. She's pointing out flaws, and so he's just trying to placate her and just pumping out something that's going to make her alive. And she's like, "No, that wouldn't work because in this chapter you say this, so you can't contradict yourself." So yeah, she's like, she wants a publishable quality. She wants a solution to the death of the character misery. I loved when she gave that monologue about when she would go to the chapter stories on Saturdays, and they would do cliffhangers, and then they, like she talks about. In one of the cliffhangers, a car goes off the cliff and burns. She was so excited to see what happens next. And she goes and they cheated it. And they were like, oh, actually, he jumped out of the car before they burned. And everyone was so excited. And she got angry. And she was like, did you not just see what, like, he didn't get out of the car. They're trying to trick us. And she, yeah, like, she just goes on a surprises rant. or um, inconsistencies very well. Not her strong suit one might say. <laughs> it's not her strong suit. Anyway, one day Annie drops a bobby pin and Paul uh, starts to um, break out of his room and she's away and wheel around and he starts stockpiling those painkillers and um, he starts spitting his out and he's keeping in the mattress but he's keeping a good pile of them. And uh, the scene Emma mentioned where he tastes it, he's opening, he makes a little pouch out of some of the letter paper that she gave him to write the novel and he makes a little pouch out of it and he's popping open all of the capsules and dumping the contents of the capsules into the pouch and he tastes it to make sure that it's flavorless, that it's tasteless because he's going to try to you know, poison or sedate Annie. And so he invites her to have a, a meal with him and at this point Annie is like openly in love with him, if that's the word you want to use. It's the word she uses she straight up she straight up tells him like I love you like I used to just love the writer you but now I love all of you. She'll say it like while she's being incredibly violent with him. It's a flawed love. <laughs> so they go they have dinner. Annie is like enamored by the fact that she's having this romantic dinner with Paul and he's he they have the they have wine. She made this fancy meal. She dressed up. He's like trying to low key flirt with her and like butter her up. And uh, he says, "Oh, can you go get some candles for so we can have a proper toast?" And while she goes to get candles, he dumps the pouch into her wine. <laughs> and this scene hurt me more than the hobbling scene. And then he goes to have a toast, and she gets so excited, and she knocks over the glass of wine. Like he not she knocks over the glass of wine that has all of the capsules that he has stockpiled that he's emptied like 20 capsules of sedatives into and it's just gone. Yeah, I love that. I was so horrified in that moment. And then he has to keep having the like dinner that he's like, he has to act like everything's chill when he's like been buttering her up and being nice and he just has to keep going. It's more painful than the hobbling scene for me. I don't think that, I don't, from what I read, I don't know if that, I don't know that that is in the, novel 
Um, and if it's not, I think that's a great addition. Because it is a it great w- addition. And then it would make sense if it wasn't in the novel because if he's taking all of his medicine because he's addicted, then he wouldn't have been stockpiling it. So I think maybe they traded those two things out. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, but yeah. he's he's still breaking out of the his room whenever she goes into town. So it's an, it's a later day, and he finds a scrapbook of all of her newspaper clippings from her past that she's been keeping. Uh, you find a lot of bad news. I love that it says like whenever because he, he he with his very first escape from the room he passes by it but doesn't open it, and I truly thought it was a like it says memory lane or something like that on it, and I thought it was a book with like family members in it and then you realize it's a memory lane of like past murder victims it's so fascinating and and she does briefly mention that she was previously married and it didn't work out it like i think we all knew that she killed her husband i didn't know that she killed a lot more people than that so she wasn't lying when she said she was a nurse she's a nurse and she or she was past tense a nurse in an ICU eventually she becomes head of the ICU and uh basically she killed a whole bunch of patients including a lot of newborns and um she went to trial for it and uh she didn't get convicted due to lack of evidence yeah she was acquitted and there's an important line that she she quotes there's a news there's a quote in the newspaper where she quotes a line from misery i can't remember exactly what it was but it was like a higher power than the court, if there is one, will judge me. And it's from the Misery novels. And oh my gosh, we haven't been talking about the sheriff. Oh, well, let's talk about him. He let's reminds talk about me an awful lot, awful lot of the one of the supporting characters from uh, The Shining. I think you know which one I'm talking about. Is he the Scatman Crothers? Yes. Yeah, he is. God bless you, Buster. So this is a very small town. Throughout all these scenes we've been talking about, there's a sheriff. (laughs) There's like a sheriff and a deputy. And the deputy is the sheriff's wife. And they're adorable. I'm not going to get into it. They're just adorable. And this sheriff's name is Buster. And he's been investigating Paul's disappearance this whole time. Like he's been um, taking helicopters around and uh, trying to gather evidence. He's been reading the misery novels, which... I don't know why he didn't just go door to door, but he chose to read all of his novels but that was his that was his choice and um he probably so, kind of secretly liked them a little bit oh he definitely liked them and but he he does get that he he reads that quote from the misery novels and it strikes him as familiar although he doesn't know why so then he's in the library and he is looking he at, meaning like, buster meaning the sheriff right yeah so buster basically is at is having breakfast or something like that and he hears someone yelling poop you and poop this and cock-a-doody and like just having quite the temper about some traffic uh, issues. And he goes and he thinks she looks familiar. So he goes and looks her up in an old newspaper and lo and behold, it is this woman who had been in the newspapers for uh, the accusation of all of these intentional murders at the hospital. And then he looks down at the caption for for her acquittal, and there's that same quote that Kate was talking about from the Misery novels about letting God judge me. And he also goes to um, the local shop uh, that, I guess they, they just have one shop that sells everything, and he asks about Annie, and, and the shopkeeper straight up says, oh, yeah, she's a big fan of that Paul guy. Um, Paul Sheldon, and he, I always have to set a copy of the the newest copy aside for her. And also, weird, she's been buying a lot of typing paper. And Buster's like, I think I know what's going on. <laughs> Meanwhile, Annie knows that Paul has been sneaking out of his room because in an earlier scene, he almost knocks over one of her little ceramic animals that are all facing the same direction while he's wheeling around. He catches it, and then he puts it back, but it's facing the wrong way. Did you notice that? I, yes, because why else are they going to show me this penguin facing the wrong way? Yeah. I, I did. I did notice, and I was waiting for and, and I knew it was going to be why he gets his ankle sledgehammered. I knew that was coming. I liked it because I liked that you have the heart stop of him dropping it, and then he doesn't drop it, but then when he places it back, he places it back incorrectly. He's doing the best he can. He's doing all this with open breaks like in his bones. And um, also at this point, his shoulder has gotten much better and he doesn't need the sling, but he's holding on to the sling because it 
Um, he wants to catch her by surprise if he's going to hurt her. But she finds out he's been sneaking out of the room. Um, she, he, he wakes up. He's been drugged with an intravenous sedative. Actually, quick question. So I've worked a lot with sedative. I'm a veterinarian. Emma's a, about to be a medical doctor very soon. And um, I've worked a lot with medical sedatives, and none of them work this quickly. Is this a real thing? Yeah, you could have medicines that work that quickly because they'll like intubate people or give them ketamine or things like that for when if they're going to reset their um, arm. So people can go under really quickly. I guess. Okay. Maybe it's just because animals will fight it so much. Mm. So like I use, you know, we'll use ketamine and like dexmedetomidine. We'll use all sorts of sedatives for animals for procedures, but it's like a... It's like a process. It's like we give them the medication, then we just kind of like, we put them in a dark room and we like just kind of sit with them and like we'll cover their eyes so they feel sleepy. It takes time. In the emergency room when you have patients that are going under for like just resetting a shoulder or if like you're in the OR and you're putting some, sometimes the people in the OR are a little bit slower to um, fall asleep. So it probably has to do with the kind of medicine, but you can, if you want to put someone to sleep really quickly with like propofol or something like that, you can do it. Yeah, we have to get IV access. Yeah. Okay. IV access is easy for, for humans who are not fighting you. Okay. I guess that makes more sense. <laughs> I guess that makes more sense. She gets a needle in his arm fast and um, he is out and he, he comes to and he's completely strapped down to the bed. And um, she tells him, hey, no, you've been sneaking out and uh, I've come to a, a solution for us because you're feeling better and I know you're going to leave soon. So I'm going to break your ankles. So she puts a block of wood between his ankles and um, takes a sledgehammer and just bludgeons the crap out of each one. Watching the um, foot turn the other way was heinous. Yeah, it was a gelatin mold of um, James Conn's feet with wires in them so that the wires would make it turn like that whenever she hit them. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, This is where, and I double-checked on this to make sure I was saying it correctly, this is where in the book, in the the book counterpart, they – uh, cut off with an axe one of the foot one of the feet and Jesus then Christ. cauterize it with a blowtorch and then later they cut off the thumb uh, with an electric knife. I was wondering how you cauterize a thumb with a blowtorch. Like you take off the whole freaking yeah, hand. Suddenly your hand's gone. <laughs> I was like that's a little baby blowtorch. I'm um I know that that was an intentional thing that they changed in the movie because they're trying to keep Annie I don't want to say likable, but sympathetic. They're trying to keep her at least somewhat sympathetic. And if she just hacked off his foot with an axe, I think it would be a little difficult. So I think they it would didn't. change the tone a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Now, meanwhile, Buster is coming to visit Annie without backup. This is the scene that bothers me the most. Okay, so Buster is the, the head honcho in this town. He is the sheriff. He suspects this woman. He has probable cause. He just goes without any backup. Maybe they don't have backup. Like maybe there's literally nobody. I feel like this is an an older gentleman who has been doing his job a long time. Maybe is a bit complacent and comfortable with his job and with the small town crimes. And maybe was not prepared for the level of insanity, which I don't know if any of us were prepared for the level of insanity of this woman. But he's he's very suspicious of it. Like he has good strong, accurate suspicions. And he goes into her house. He like knocks on the door and she, you know, sedates James Conn super fast and wheels him into like a secret um, panel that takes him downstairs and leaves him there. And so whenever the sheriff shows up, she's, you know, acting super sweet and precious and she's offering him cocoa and she's, you know, talking about James Conn and about how much, not James Conn, Paul, the writer, the character, she's talking about Paul and about, oh, yes, I'm a big, she's kind of trying to cover her tracks because she's like, there's only so much that you could know, but the, I know what you could know. And so she's like, all right, yeah, like, I love him. I was so sad when he died. I'm his number one fan. Look at all my books. I even bought the same typewriting paper that he likes <laughs> yeah, for not me, for him. not for him, for me. He's dead. And, you know, I tried writing. Silly. Not for him. Of course not for him. Oh, yeah. At this point, they've also found it's like the, the thaw um, the thaw has melted all of the snow, and um, they found his car turned upside down. Um, everyone else ignores the crowbar marks that so obviously pried open the door, and everyone's like, well, he's probably dead, and there's nothing else we need to do about it. But he's, he's suspicious. He doesn't do anything with <laughs> his authority as sheriff, but he's suspicious. So... He goes to visit her and, you know, she's, she's giving her spiel. And then he sneaks around the house 
Um, he hears James Kahn, goes to find him, and then Annie just blows an absolute hole in him with a shotgun. So yeah, I guess I can see the Scatman Crothers <laughs> similarities to the Shining the character. of kind of watching someone really longitudinally on the case, and then they very abruptly die. Very abruptly, so fast, right in the chest. But Paul still manages to keep his cool, and he because Annie's like, "All right, well, like this, this is it. Um, it's time for us to die. It's been super fun, but you know, people are going to come, so it's time for us to die." And Paul plays it smart. He's like, "No, you're right. It is time, but first we have to give misery life, or else this is for nothing." And so he's like, please, like, just until dawn, give me until dawn and I will finish it and misery will live on. I'm almost done with the book. And she, of course, agrees to this because she's obsessed with those books. So he finishes a manuscript and Paul asks for, you know, his routine cigarette and two two champagne glasses so that they can both share the Dom Perignon. She is so honored. So she has her little, like, dinner tray with, like, doilies on it champagne, a cigarette, and a revolver with two bullets in it. And she goes in to see him, and she's so excited, but he has snuck the lighter fluid in his pants. So this whole movie, James Conn is just like shoving items into his pants <laughs> to use later. And he, whenever he was downstairs, he shoved some lighter fluid in his pants. And so he has the entire manuscript of this new misery novel where they bring misery back to life. Um, Annie's obsessed with this new book. She's been reading along with it. And when she comes in with that doily tray, he's holding the last page soaked in lighter fluid and the whole man, and the whole series below him is soaked, soaked in lighter fluid. And he's like, okay, here it is. Who's she going to marry? Which one is it? Oh, it's all in here. Everything's in here. And then he sets it on fire and she goes absolutely nuts. They start fighting. She attacks him. He attacks her back. He takes the like, ashes of the burn novel and like shoves them in her mouth um annie he's done (laughs) annie shoots him in the shoulder um they have this big climactic fallout that basically ends when paul grabs a metal doorstop and just smashes her skull in with it and she finally dies it's a lot the way she dies in the book apparently so they have the same sort of the beginning of it where they're they're fighting he knocks her unconscious he's able to get to the police um, and then they find her dad, uh, secondary to the injuries that he had caused her in the barn, attempting to get a chainsaw. <gasps> yeah. So I think they just took everything down just one or two notches. Oh my God. That gives me anxiety. And it's a book I haven't even read. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, exactly. That's so scary. What was she going to do with that? Well, it doesn't matter because she's dead. And so now it's 18 months later. Paul is doing pretty well walking around New York City. He's got a cane, but like, damn, he's doing really well. And uh, he's meeting with his literary agent, Marsha. They're at this fancy restaurant. They're discussing all sorts of things. But basically, his latest book is doing really well. It's not a misery novel, but it's doing super, super well. Everyone's liking it. Um, And Marsha, his literary agent, is like, okay, since you brought up whatever since you brought up annie (laughs) uh since you brought up your traumatic past yeah uh since you did that's on you not me how about you write a nonfiction book about being held hostage we maybe cash in on that yeah can we just like get some cash on that ptsd and he's like oh no thank you (laughs) i don't want that and he's talking about how he sees her everywhere like he knows she's dead but he sees her everywhere and we see the final scene is this woman wheeling a dessert cart towards him in the restaurant and it's annie He's he's hallucinating, though. She's definitely dead. And so the woman pulls up with the dessert cart. But she says, excuse me, are you Paul Sheldon? And he's like, yeah, I am. She goes, well, I'm your number one fan. Mm, who knew that that was very triggering? And you should probably not say that to this man who's been <laughs> Probably don't. Please don't say that. But that was the end of the movie. I thought it was a really good ending. I thought it was a very good movie. I I just really liked this movie. Two thumbs up for Kathy Bates. I liked I thought the acting was very strong. I thought it was a, a teeny bit slow at the beginning, but I thought it picked up a lot. Um, and 
which is kind of, I mean, I felt similar with the, not to keep bringing up The Shining, but I felt Shining, The Shining also was a teeny bit slow at the beginning. Um, so maybe it's just like my, the style of the way Stephen King builds his, builds his suspense. Um, but I also thought it was very good. I thought it was clever. And even though you have a limited setting, they did creative things. Like you, I didn't, oh, I, there are certain things that I could anticipate, like him getting his feet messed up because we already knew about it. But outside of that, I thought that the the use of suspense and the use of torture was original throughout it. And I didn't find myself guessing how things were going to go. Um, I also, I, I really just want to say that I feel like for me, the most disturbing part, I think it was when she mixed spam with her ground beef. Oh my God. He's trying to be polite at the fancy dinner that they're having. And he's trying to brag about her meatloaf and she's very proud of it. And he's like, oh, it's so good. Like, what is it? And, he, and, he's, and she's like, oh, well, one thing, I never use canned tomatoes, only fresh. And two, uh, I mix some spam in to the ground beef. I was just like, no, no, ma'am. <laughs> it made me, I know it's completely unrelated, but it makes me think of that scene from, I think, the last season of The Office where Aaron is like a caretaker for this old woman. And she's like, oh, I boiled it in Gatorade. Was that from, is that from The Office or am I mixing two things? I'm not sure. What is that from? Oh, no. It makes me think of the scene from 30 Rock where, totally unrelated. That sounds right. But where Tina Fey is dating a super, she's dating John Hamm, who is a super, super hot doctor who is extremely stupid, but no one says anything because he's super hot. And she's like, mm, Yes, it's such a bad sport. What, such is, an what is this? It's What did you cook? What is this dinner? He's like, oh, um, I boiled it in Gatorade. It was like a fish with Gatorade on it. Yes. It's it, not related at all. Just made me think of that and made, made relieved the tension a little bit for me, which was much needed. But that that's misery. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm excited to see where we rank it on our scoreboard. Well, our scoreboard doesn't really have a house right now because um, we don't ha- we're not using the tumbler anymore. We're trying to get something more permanent, so we don't have the scoreboard yet. So mm. I can give you the list. So I'm keeping up on my own. But like Kate's saying, it's been a little bit of a period of transition. So we're trying to make the podcast bigger and better than ever with regular content on social media and weekly. Now we're going to have the weekly episodes or mini episode. And so we are working on making some changes to make it kind of long term a a better deal. But all of that to say that right now you can't see it. I can see it, but I'll share it with you. Cool. Well, what, where, mm. This is, is this, we're, all right, I'll let you decide. Where, where would you like to rank this? Okay, so I liked it. I, I don't think it's like the best thing I've ever seen. Like I wouldn't be like, oh, number one, but I think it's, so let's start with, I definitely think it's in the top half. Okay. I would say it's in the top third, probably. Okay, cool. So far we have 49 episodes that have been done. So that's a great credit to you, Kate. Um, oh, damn, this is our 50th episode? Yeah, actually it is. Oh, fun. <laughs> Congrats to us. That's cool. Congrats to us. Yay. Happy needed to us. Oh, wait, no. It, that Does that include the mini episode? No, it doesn't. Oh, okay, yay. Yeah, because I'm looking at the, the list right now, and um, 49 is Darkness Falls, so I, that would make this one 50 when we add it. What? 49? Oh, on the list. Okay, I was on like... On the list. <laughs> okay. So the very bottom is number 49. Yeah, Darkness Falls is garbage. Is and shall remain. This is better than Darkness Falls. I'll let I'll let you decide. You just pick where it is, and if I am super angry about it, I will shout at you. Okay, so I think this is better than Black Christmas, which is right in the middle. At, <gasps> what? Uh, Twenty five. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I think it should go. So Carrie and The Shining are right next to each other. So oh my I, gosh, I want to figure out how I feel. Do I think it's better or worse than Carrie? I think I like it. I would watch this again before I watch Carrie again. I, I disagree. I think Carrie's a better for horror fans, though. Yeah, and that's, oh, okay. And therein lies the divide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could put it um, above, I definitely think it's above Haunting of Bly Manor, and that's 16. I could put it above or below Creep, and that would be still below Carrie and The Shining. I think this movie, I think The Shining is stronger than this movie. Like, I would rewatch The Shining before this one probably and and i just want to say like the list isn't just rewatchability it's just everything all balled up into one but i am fine with that i think i would i would put this below creep i don't know creep creep is sacred to me i kind of want it higher than it is but yeah yeah i i really liked creep as well if we're talking about if we're talking about the shine like in terms of 
the Stephen King movies. And again, I loved this movie, so don't get me wrong. I loved this movie. But I have a poster of The Shining like right above my head right now. So <laughs> it just I just fair like enough. the sh- and maybe it's nostalgia, maybe it's not fair to the to misery. I think but- there's a reason that it that it holds its place in Americana in a way that Misery doesn't as much. Misery, I think, is at this point more of a cult classic. It was a little bit of a challenge to find it, to watch it, you know. That's true. Um, the Shining, I feel like if I pulled a group of people, everybody would recognize The Shining at least. I agree. And that I that doesn't mean that it should be higher, but yeah, I'm fine with that. Well, I mean, I I agree. I just It's just one way of, of evaluating it. But, like, obviously, uh, it's not the only way I'm evaluating these movies because Creep, no one knows Creep, and I – I really liked creeping and putting it above. All right. And keeping it above misery. So if you're comfortable with it. I'm fine with that. It'll be, uh, let's see. So it'll be 14 Shining, The Shining, 15 Creep, 16 Misery, 17 Haunting of Bly Manor, 18 Hush. I, I dig it. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Well, that's where it is now. All right. So. Awesome. And we actually don't know what we're going to be doing for our next movie, you guys. So we ha- we've had a bunch of suggestions. We're going to post them on Instagram and hopefully also on Facebook and uh, as a yep. poll and you guys can vote on it and then we'll go from there. But so the next the next movie will be a mystery determined by you guys. And before that, we will be having a mini episode, which you will have to uh, kind of listen in to see what we're going to cover. Very excited. Okay. Uh, so before we wrap up, I just want to remind everybody that we love what we're doing and we hope that you love what we're doing. We're trying to kind of adapt it and expand it and make it bigger and better. And make it more of the club that it's meant to be. Exactly. Uh, So if you're interested in in what we're doing or like it, please like it on whatever podcast or Spotify or whatever place you go to listen to it. You can like it on Facebook. Check out our Instagram and share your story if you're listening to us or kind of whatever – Whatever you're feeling, we appreciate the love and it it kind of allows us to get more members and expand and kind of have more ideas circulating. So whatever you're interested in sharing, liking, doing whatever you like, we appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much. And um, uh, that's all I have to say. Do you have any last words? Stay spoopy. Stay spoopy. And uh, we'll see you guys next time for a movie of your choosing. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, bye guys. Yeah. Take care. Stay spoopy. (laughs) 